Hey guys, uh, welcome back to yet another episode of Pundit 3 on a Pint where a couple of average blokes are having above average football conversations. Joining me on the podcast today is Vaishnav, Akshat and Po. This is episode 34 and this is our final season review. And let's get straight into that. Guys, we are done with the football for the season. We've just finished the Champions League final and uh, it's time for us to uh, leave you with our reviews of what we thought and how we thought the season went. Um, so last week's episode was the Premier League review um, and today we're going to focus on the other European leagues. There is so much drama that has happened, um, change of uh, guard, change of honours. We saw Juventus falling out, we saw Atletico winning their sectoral title um, in, in very recent time with Diego Simeone. We saw PSG losing uh, uh, the, the French league and I, I thought I would never see this day coming where a team of uh, consisting of Neymar and Mbappe don't end up winning the league. That was the French league. Um, Germany was same old, same old with Lewandowski absolutely smashing it and also breaking the individual record for most goals scored in the season. Uh, and also, uh, shout out to uh, Rangers who, who won uh, their title the first time in 10 years. I think uh, it was Celtic's time to, be, to, to win 10 in a row, but that didn't happen. Uh, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna bring Akshat in first uh, to talk about uh, the league one, which I think was the most exciting and unexpected result uh, that we had across all of Europe. Hi, Akshat. Hey, Amar. Um, yeah, I mean, all the leagues you mentioned, they weren't just uh, seasons where maybe unex- unexpected teams won, but also the way they won. It was it almost went down to the last two game weeks in each and every league, which was incredible to watch and. Uh, there was no difference in the French league as well. So, with about two games to go, there were four teams in the picture. So, obviously, PSG, Lyon, uh, Monaco, who had an extraordinary surge in the last three months of the campaign, where they just couldn't uh, stop winning. And, of course, Lille, the eventual champions, um, they they uh, came out on top. Um, I think it's incredible, like you said. It's not just that... Uh, any league in the world, right, which has the players which PSG has, you'd expect them to win. But where the disparity between the quality of teams is so large, like this French league, you, you'd expect it to be a cakewalk each and every time. And the fact that they were able to lose the league in, in such a whimper, because a lot of the damage which PSG did upon themselves was self-inflicted. There were several games where they were in front and they lost the lead to either a draw or lose the game. And losing eight games in a single season for PSG is unheard of, right? Um, eight games, eight domestic games, it's, it's, it's incredible. Now, for me, um, there are two main reasons as to why PSG didn't win the league. Um, and of course, I'll come to Lille and why, why they were deserved champions. But um, PSG, number one, is that, of course, the manager change in between the season didn't work out for them they, the way they planned it, right? They brought Poch in thinking that the league is going to be theirs no matter what happens. They were a little bit um, overconfident about that. But the way the PSG team played after Poch came in is so far away from Poch's actual philosophy of play. It, it It's nowhere close. The, the Poch we've seen with Southampton and Tottenham, we know that they're a very aggressive team and they play by pressing from the front and defending from the front. But this PSG team has not been able to replicate that at all. Case in point being the Champions League games, where I think most eyeballs were on them. It, it didn't look like a Mauricio, a Mauricio Pochettino team. So I think the fact that Poch was not able to instill his philosophy upon PSG in the short period of time where he was there 
cost them uh, the league title for sure and maybe even the champions league for that matter and secondly i've had this one gripe with psg for years now and i think this season has highlighted it more than any other season in the past is that they are i've been very controversial here but i feel like they are cry babies to the largest extent i do not like watching a team i think they do not have the right mentality to be a champion a champions winning team and the reason i say that is they are very petulant they are very sore losers and um this season right you just have to see the amount of red cards which they got and the thing is that they always get these red cards late uh, towards the latter half of the game like maybe the last 10 minutes or so when they're either drawing or they're losing right it's never when they're winning it's always when the result is against them they somehow seem to down tools they don't really fight for it they fight in the wrong way we saw this in both the legs against uh, uh, against city where di maria when the tie was over when city scored the two goals he got sent off um i think with three that the third last game or the fourth last game of the um of the season against ren um what they did is uh, ren scored a late equalizer and psg got a man sent off it was neymar um you go earlier and earlier on in the season um the, the the most important game which was the one against lille uh, which i think finished two all or 3-2 in the favor of lille uh, sorry 1-0 in the favor of lille uh, again psg got a man sent off late in the game very very earlier on the season the match against marseille uh, after full time five players got sent off in that game so it's always when a result seems to go against them rather than you know showing the right mentality and showing that they want to come back and showing that passion they just kind of get petulant and and foul themselves out and and just show their frustration on the pitch which is a huge huge problem for a team which is supposed to be championship caliber i think it's a huge huge problem so i i think a combination of these two factors um led to the fact led to psg not being able to to win the title this season but uh, lil i mean it's absolutely incredible what they've done uh, i think po po will come in and speak about this but how they are quite obviously going to get gutted the entire squad is going to get gutted um this summer transfer window because the french league obviously is is not doing financially very well and we've seen something like this happen with monaco in the past where they were surprise champions and then the last the next season they weren't able to keep their team but i just want to shout out one player and that is burak yilmaz who is the turkish striker and he basically came to lille as a free transfer um uh, from fenerbahce uh, in this uh, summer and nobody really expected him to to be you know maybe a, a backup striker a reserve striker nobody expected him to be the guy leading lille to a a, a french league um at, at 35 years of age i think he scored 16 goals this season and um he's also been just absolutely scintillating form for the turkish national team as well so in the euros i think you have to look out for him but um in a team with really a, a bunch of um nobody's in terms of the big names vs renato sanchez is there but he's also not been in the media for a very long time uh, for them to be able to pull out this kind of a, uh, a an accomplishment is amazing so all all credit to lille i think they were fantastic yeah and uh, if i'm not mistaken i think two seasons ago the manager came in when they were 18 and they were fighting relegation and uh, that's right from then from then to now it's uh, it champions of france i think is an incredible achievement but yeah i mean about pochettino just to just quick point to add over there uh, we have seen that it takes time for his processes to uh, to to get inculcated into the team there's always a teething teething time uh, and we saw that with spurs as well i mean 
it was only in his third and fourth season when they were they were actually playing the way he wanted to but with this psg team when you have such high personalities strong personalities in the dressing room it's it was always going to be a little more difficult and uh, it's going to be interesting to see if uh, psg continue to keep their faith in such a uh, system oriented manager you know uh, it was a surprise pick for me that pochettino went there and it will be a surprise if he has a long period as a manager at psg uh, but i just want to bring uh, po where uh, uh, hi po um, any uh, inputs on the on the on the lille champion winning season it's uh, hello amar it's been freaking incredible their achievements this season but uh, i mean uh, i wholeheartedly agree with what akshat said about them their squad being going to get gutted the next transfer window but then what i wanted to touch upon was how lille are quite well equipped with this uh, you mentioned that their manager came in 2017 right amar mm. like from the moment they like he's come and then he's teamed up with luis campos who was the main head guy responsible for bringing in talent to the monaco side that won the league back in 2016 he was heavily involved in that and he he after which he came to lille and the magic that these two have worked together has been incredible uh like i'll just read this out to you i mean the year that they came they got take like the a new owner came in with the majority share he was partly owned by like he was the ex owner of lotus formula 1 team and then he took out a huge debt to try to buy lille like 225 million from american like uh, lenders so lille had like the purse strings tied they sold bisuma for 8 million and then the number of players that they signed for the same amount of money were ikone rafael leao jonathan bamba fonte and uh, selic for a combined amount of 9 million and they've managed to sell these players on like they've sold rafael leao on they've sold uh, they had nicolas pepe and they sold him for 72 million they sold gabriel for 25 million and then they've bought replacements for all these players for dirt cheap amounts like they got renato sanchez they got uh, victor ozonson ozonson i don't know how to pronounce his name but then they went on to sell him again to napoli for 70 million so like you can see the cycle of them continuous cycle of them buying players for cheap and then selling them for astronomical amount of money so like i don't see them falling as bad as monaco did like a few years ago they i think they're well equipped to cope with uh, the like the for sure like fire sale that's coming on right now I think he's one of the best directors of football out there if not one the best. The way he's able to rotate these squads in and out right making a profit for the whichever club he's part of it's it's incredible. And he's leaving yeah at the at the end of the season uh, he's looking for a new job yeah. Yeah, he was the one I was talking about. I was saying someone's in between jobs I was pretty sure it was Campos. Uh, I don't know if he, are you sure he's leaving though he might just uh, be posturing for maybe an extension at Lille. but he's definitely a big reason i mean in the past i think amar had said before we got on the call that psg won what six times in a row in the last decade or so and i think the only two teams to have other than i guess montpellier like po said also before the call in 2010 i think po said montpellier but uh, anyway the two teams that have essentially broken the monopoly have both been directly influenced by incredible you know or uh, recruitment put in place by Luis Campos essentially Monaco and Lille and within both sides he's found and produced some world beating talent like if you just think i mean who knows Luis Campos all too well you got uh, Pepe and Magliers just because of Luis's ability to find a diamond in the rough and get these players to perform where they're at because i don't know if four remembers but the season Pepe 
before Pepe came to Arsenal, he was lighting up Liga, and I I remember he was having fire. Yeah, he was really fire, and I remember having so many conversations with you about how jealous I was because I was so infatuated by this uh, right side inside forward that could cut on to his left, very low center of gravity. Can you know he's a very typical I don't want to say Luis Campos player, but he's a he's a very viable player if that makes sense. Wherein lots of these feeder clubs will want to invest in talent that is effective, so can do that. Thing that many other players can't, because you can get these guys into one v one positions. But people like uh, uh, Ossiman previously, like Pepe, like this season, I can't remember his first name, but his second name is Bamba. Bamba. Yeah, the number seven basically, and he, oh my god, like these players who are able to essentially take a man out of the game by a pass or by a run or off the ball or on the ball. It's just incredible, and I think Campos has this flair of finding very, very. Marketable footballing assets, not the personality, not in the sense of a Cristiano Ronaldo, or Lionel Messi, or Michael Jordan, or Muhammad Ali, but more in the sense of Eden Hazard. I think Luis Campos was sporting director at Lille when Eden Hazard moved to Chelsea as well. So I think he has essentially been around the block. He knows what he's doing, and he it's not it's it seems like every season one of the teams he's at has a high value export, right? So that says a lot about his you know recruitment. in the sense that everyone values who is recruiting we were trying to we were like in the previous episode we were praising lester for going ahead and buying somaria for around 15 to 20 million then it was a cheap buy i looked i looked into that but then like they got him for free and now the, he's on his last year of contract and managing to get 20 million out of him when you barely spend anything is really good business at the end of the day let's let's go forward uh, let's talk about uh, the seria which again was an extremely exciting league until one point now inter were uh, uh, decided champions a very long time ago and we saw that coming particularly because they you know crashed out of the champions league and then um conte's entire focus was on on the serie uh, and i mean we can go on talking about inter what a team they are everything that uh, every player and every position uh, seemed to know exactly what they were doing uh, barella was Uh, a breakthrough this season. We saw the best, or maybe the best yet to come from Atraf Hakimi. We saw the potential of what Lukaku can be, and I mean, what a lethal finisher he is. Uh, and we, at the end of it, we even saw players like uh, Sanchez and Eriksen getting into the groove, which was which was good to see. I mean, uh, a, a lot of players that were sort of sidelined and um, uh, discarded uh, came back, rejuvenated, and. prevented Juventus from winning 10 in a row i think that was the biggest story of the season a huge huge meltdown there as well uh, we don't know i mean uh, i mean you can you can understand because it's pirlo's first season uh, as a manager and we had discussed this in one of our episodes before that uh, was he really ready for it or not and it didn't seem like it was then and he's definitely not and uh, he's lost his job and that's unfortunate uh, another team though i want to talk about and want to touch upon is atlanta i mean they have they have set the european stage on fire at times when they have been when they've been involved they've again qualified for the champions league which is great to see they also got to the finals of the of the super cup i think it's called in uh, italy yeah coppa italia yeah Co- coppa italia coppa italia sorry yeah coppa italia and uh, I, i just pulled up some stats so their overall xg from open play is about 67 cumulative for the entire season which is insane only in this area so uh, that's only from open play from corners they have another eight so 
I mean, you are looking at a, almost as a gross of 75 XG in a space of what, like 38 games. Mm. So, you could say they try, they, they, they're going to score almost two a game. And that's exactly how the team is set up. Yeah, sorry. And, and I just want to add to that. I think, if I'm not mistaken, they're the only team which has gone three um, uh, Serie A's in a row scoring 100 goals a season. Yeah. So, they've done it three times now. So, it, it's not just a one-season thing, right? They have been playing this brand of football for a while now under uh, Jasperini. Again, I'm not going to try to pronounce his name right, but... Um, yeah, I think you're right. They are just such an incredible team to watch. So much fun to watch. They remind me a little bit of how Nagelsmann tries to play um, with vertical tiki-taka in quotes. But his his just seems to be a lot more higher tempo. And uh, I just love the way that the midfielders are around to make those straight runs. You know, they don't try to arc their run over a fullback or something straight through the midfield whenever they get a chance. And people try to catch them out like that. It's, it's I don't know. I, I just really, really love those that team, watching that team play. Yeah. Uh, more than Nagelsmann, I think they're just uh, a very refined way of Brighton, basically. <laughs> they remind me exactly of Brighton. <laughs> just uh, with better finishing abilities and better game management. But yeah, I mean, uh, Atlanta have been fun to watch uh, this season. But uh, also, big, big shout-out to AC Milan. Finally, back in the Champions League. I think 2013 was their last appearance. And I mean, uh, a club of that stature, of that um, history, they don't deserve to be playing anywhere else but the Champions League. And I have a few um, Milan friends, shout out to them. I'm sure they'll be listening and uh, happy for you guys. It's finally happened. AC Milan killed it though. Like from March last year till January this year, 304 days or so, they went like they didn't lose a single game. And this was majority, sort of the the good feeling generated by Zlatan coming back to the club, I'd say. Mm. But then how long can you expect a 39-year-old to carry the team? And like yeah. you saw like Inter on the other side pick up after January and then like stroll past them for the title. But then kudos to them. I mean, uh, even, even though Zlatan's impact can be seen on the pitch, um, he was injured for most of the season. Huh? Like He had a lot of injury problems and I think that's where the downfall of Milan was there when, uh, I mean, they were leading uh, the league and uh, I, I, it was just one injury after another very key positions. I think even Chandler Oglu was, was injured for a while at the same time as Zlatan was. Theo Hernandez was injured uh, and uh, I think that that just sort of uh, fizzled out their mount for the for the title. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I mean, we spoke about this. I think we we recorded was the Syria episode maybe two months back, a little bit further back than then. And I think that that time, uh, AC Milan was second on the table, but none of us really believed that they would actually challenge for the title because we could see them slowly losing steam with the injuries and the results kind of slowing and the goals drying up. Yeah. And and we did speak a lot about uh, the Milan clubs and Juventus. And I just want to give a shout out to Gattuso and the Napoli team, who I believe were incredibly unlucky to finish outside the top four. Um, but uh, on the final day of the season, by the way, the, the drama of the Serie A on the final day of the season was absolutely insane. insane yeah. Where there were four teams fighting for three spots on the final day. It was just incredible. And Juventus uh, looked all set to not play the Champions League this season. Huh? Yeah, yeah. They didn't get it through easy. Yeah. It, 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 unfortunately, Napoli couldn't win their final game of the season against Verona. Um, and But I, I feel like that's, that's really uh, commendable that Gattuso 
pick them up. I think they finished around seventh or eighth last season, not really in the conversation for the top four finish. And he's really turned them around um, this season. So yeah, sh- shout out to them. I think he did a really good job with them, with Napoli. How, how did the final table look like? Like who, who finishes third? Atlanta finished third. Atlanta third, AC Milan second. So so Inter Inter on 91, then Milan on 79, Atlanta on 78, Juventus on 78, Oof. and Napoli on 77. Just... So two two points splitting from second to fifth. <laughs> Some lovely drama. Yeah. yeah. I also wanted to ask: Isn't Tonali at uh, AC Milan like Akshat's favorite player? Yeah. Yes, he is. But he's he's not been he's not been that effective this season, to be honest. Uh, he's not one of those players that have really. He hasn't stood out. Yeah, yeah. He hasn't really stood out. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> he has time. That's yeah, okay. Uh, and he moved within. He came in from Brescia. Somewhere he came in from Serie A itself, right? Like he was in Italy. Um, I think he was Fiorentina, if I'm not mistaken, or Brescia, one of those. Two. I think it's Brescia. Uh, I think both have blue or purple kits, which is why I think you're confused. But yeah, I, it might be one of those two. Yeah. Hey, moving on uh, now for uh, the La Liga in Spain. Um, another nail-biting finish. It came down to the last day, and who's going to win the title between uh, Real and Atletico? And uh i mean uh, i can only imagine how the city of madrid must have been on that day because uh, the part of i of which i am in spain went pretty crazy when atletico won yeah cuz everyone hates madrid dude everyone hates madrid yeah everyone yeah. hates we like half of the city and the rest of spain <laughs> i mean uh, we we don't need to delve too much into this we all know the x factor of luis suarez absolutely shocking decision by barcelona to let him go and i, I he he was just brilliant this season though i hate the player i hate the man uh, but you can clearly see the effect of uh, what he's done to that team and what i really loved about it was i mean he came out openly and he said it you know that uh, they treated me so badly the barcelona board uh, they didn't even have the guts to tell me myself uh, to tell me on the face when they wanted messi to say they used my leverage and they asked me to go and talk to him so overall it was a very sour ending and uh, all like all i wanted to do was take a picture with the trophy and send it to them like take, uh, <laughs> take uh, send it to them on whatsapp just to shove it in their face and i mean that's so as he says he hasn't done it in, me- in the media but i'm pretty sure he has because of the kind of guy he is uh, but i mean incredible season for atletico the it was a proper simeone team you know hard rough football um, 11 warriors on the pitch uh, very systems oriented and that's again sort of a shout out to like the systems oriented um, some of the parts is greater than the individual type of teams because yeah. like in the case of uh, uh, luis campos and lille and monaco breaking psg's monopoly the only team to have bre- broken the duopoly of uh, barca and real in the past 10 15 years has been atletico and it's not a coincidence that it's been a simeone team and it's insane because i feel like there are a lot of similarities between all his teams Uh, like you said 11 warriors on the pitch fast effective athletic very good strikers very good holding midfielders very good center backs and fucking yano black doesn't hurt so it is just insane how you know he lifted the team in the sense of i don't think anyone saw atleti anywhere near the title at the start of the season i don't think anyone would have yeah. predicted that given couple moves you know people thinking hazard might come good various things might not have even made people consider atletico even the luis suarez transfer sort of a fiasco no i don't know if you guys remember there's these rumors floating he was supposed very... to go to juventus yeah that happened he failed his language test or something 
there's video evidence of him cheating yeah, yeah there's video evidence of him cheating so but basically i mean that whole episode of him even moving to atletico wasn't like you know they went out to get luis suarez because they wanted this and they got this it sort of fell into place if that makes sense yeah go ahead po no no i just wanted to uh, throw in a small tidbit over here like Barca do not learn from their own mistakes, do they? Because they did the same thing with David Villa back I then. Just gonna like, say, like sold him to Atleti, and then they won the league with him. Dude, you know what this reminds me of? I don't know if our listeners have played a lot of Call of Duty, but you can hold and cook a frag before you throw it. <laughs> and this is genuinely holding the frag for too long. You blow up and die. This is, and then all you see is grey and black. And this is genuinely that man. I don't know. Man, fuck me. Who's in charge at Barcelona? It's a little sad. But I also want to say, what are the jobs? Do you get the satisfaction of doing that to your ex-employers, bro? Right. Wherein you can genuinely go out the next year after you've been let go of one of your employers and be like, oh, you guys have goals this year. <laughs> no. <laughs> and that's lovely. Fucking Suarez, man. We can do, I think we can do an entire episode on uh, Barcelona's financial mismanagement, right? I think there's a bunch of clowns who are running the club right now. Yeah, we need to do a rebuild episode on Barca soon. Yeah, but but before we move on, I just want to talk about um Juan Felix, Oof. who when he started the season was on fire, and and people thought that he's finally going to be able to justify that price tag which everyone had put so much pressure on him for. But then, like over the course of the season, he kind of lost that steam, and I I just love the fact that you have someone experienced in the club like a. Suarez who can take that pressure off of a youngster who isn't performing and i think the, the i'm going to draw a parallel with united um but when we last season had martial and rashford and greenwood and what not playing that striker position when they weren't really clicking there wasn't that experienced man who can come in and you know um, take hold of that team and score the goals for the team uh, which we got with cavani this year and i think that is actually one of the key reasons why Uh, of course suarez scoring the goals yeah we we've spoken about that but the fact that he's able to take some of the pressure off of the other atletico players by being that star man because he's so used to that spotlight with uh, barcelona i think that was also really important for them winning the title i think felix also combined really well with suarez like they did play like yeah. i think he's definitely like progressed in terms of his like his career and his value must have gone up definitely yeah yeah and also the, i mean that that, that league uh, no the, the, i just want to point out here that even the la liga came down to the last day and not even the last day like the last so the second half of, of both the games because both teams were losing atletico and real and then atletico equalized but before that real had equalized but it was an offside i think if i'm not wrong yeah it was an offside benzema was offside uh, and then uh, real ended up winning the game but it was too late because atletico had won too so i think that yeah i think atletico basically had to win right on the last day to win the title and if they didn't win uh, real had to match like basically real had to match the no they need a better result than real basically no no i don't think so right because they both yeah, won yeah they did they did they did they, did. Oh. they needed a higher goal goal difference but but wait what, what who did real play on the final day uh, villarreal Villarreal. Oh, that name is familiar. And wow, what is the final <laughs> score? Do you remember? They won two one. Not eleven ten. <laughs> Real won two one. Uh... Ah, so that's what I was asking, na? So basically, Real had to better Atleti's result, but Atleti just yeah. had to match Real's result, essentially, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, but that's insane because it's still like Amar said, like the second half of the last day of the season is just insane. That's drama, right? 
Yeah. You know, um, with all that to consider, like I want to give a shout out to how Atletico like managed to find the time to man like have their entire squad go and change and then wear jeans and come back out for the <laughs> celebrations, man. Like, I, I'm looking at the photos; they're all wearing like toned jeans. Like I'm like losing my head. Like how do they coordinate this? And then must be a brand deal. I didn't look into it, but then it looks too trippy. It could be that you're right. It probably could be that. But yeah, that is weird. I didn't. I didn't really think about it until you mentioned it. Same, same. <laughs> but you know, Jan Oblak went right out to celebrate with the fans. Have you seen the video that went viral? Yeah, I've seen a couple. Of like videos. he's been literally carried by the fans, and but nobody's wearing masks. So like, what the he, fuck? He's kept like. Over forty percent of the games, he's kept a clean sheet this season, like forty-five percent clean sheet. He is essentially the best or the top three goalkeepers in the world right now. Easy. No, I, I think he's the. I think he's top. I don't think. Like, but this I, year. I think the only reason he might not be top is because you'd rather have an Edison or Allison in your team because they can do so much more, right? I I, I don't count Edison. I wouldn't say Allison, but Edison, yeah. I love how you both said the opposite, Amar. Did you and Poj just say the exact opposite thing at the same time? I said Edison. Oh shit! I thought I thought you both said the exact opposite shit at the same time. No, no, no! Like I wouldn't take Allison. Definitely wouldn't take Allison over or Black. I wouldn't take Edison. I I think Edison has too many mistakes. I wouldn't take Edison either. But bro, that that ball from Edison, right? That can split any defense. Like we saw that in the Champions League final as well. Like I don't remember who went in Sterling. I think right at the start over. Yeah, Sterling. Yeah. But that's not his role, man. Yeah. Like, come on, like he's he's a goalkeeper, dude. You don't keep a goalkeeper because he can no. give you one assist. So, so you signed a goalkeeper. What's his XA been over the last three seasons? <laughs> yeah, I mean you're gonna get like maybe two or three assists out of him in his career, like in his career at the club, <laughs> like not in a season, his career at the club. No, but but to post point, he does help build a lot of attacks as well with his like diagonals out wide. So yeah, and even the, sort of the angles he makes when they're On that high line, and he gives Diaz not as much because Diaz is sort of that sweeper keep. I don't know why we're talking about a Premier League team right now. Let's let's just let's just segue into the Champions League final since we're already here. Amar, what do you say? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. That was super natural, guys. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the, the the Champions League finals. I mean, um, uh, it was basically a chess match on uh, overdrive, you could say. Wait, wait, Amar. Let's let's talk about the Villarreal game first, so we can just quickly. Get it out two minutes and then go on to the Champions League game. Hey, let him let him continue now. Let him continue, please, please. <laughs> Leave Villarreal and all, bro. What do we talk about? Nothing happened in that game except Dea was like. But the aggregate, the, the overall score was like for twelve eleven. No, by the end of it, so. Hey, you, hey, you, vice chair, stop. Abhi, you continue, da. Simply <laughs> talking. You continue. <laughs> But then I do have one question to ask you boys about that. Okay, like I'm directly going to the penalties. Oh God! I want to know how the fuck you guys sat for so long. Like I can't. Like the anxiety would have killed me by then, man. Like fucking sitting for like ten shots, eleven shots. Bro, I couldn't have a smoke after that. Hey, my heart was pounding. I just want to say two things about the penalties. One thing, firstly, sorry, Akshat, I cut you off. But the first thing is, I think Bruno wins the toss and lets them kick first, which I yeah, tripped on. Yeah, that's stupid. I tripped really hard on that. I don't even. That was stupid as fuck. Like Amar, didn't they also? They did two tosses, right? If I'm not wrong. They still. Uh, this one won the Villarreal won the side, and they selected the side with their fans. And Bru- Bruno is like, no, no, we'll shoot second. Our man is playing mind games. He just reversed his own Uno reverse card and got mind fucked, bro. Because like you realize that when they panned over to the fans at the goal, 
there was just a wall of yellow and some united fans like hey, don't mind me trying to creep into frame which i thought was hey okay da we'll we'll move on we'll move on leave hey, but then you didn't even answer the question about how the fuck did you guys deal with the anxiety bro i didn't move a i didn't move a muscle bro i didn't i didn't move a muscle only i was like frozen into place and then after the match got over also didn't leave my bed the entire day are you happy is that what you want to hear from me <laughs> <laughs> outburst heated debate on this week's punditry on a pint no no dude it's like reopening some very very raw wounds <laughs> <laughs> okay let's talk about the raw wound that tukil gave guardiola bro oh another good segue dude we're on fire today <laughs> <laughs> okay let's let's uh, let's move on to the let, let's move on to the champions league finals guys um, as i said it it looked like a chess chess match that was on steroids um I mean the speed of the game was very unexpected. I mean uh, I had said that it was going to be a Chelsea 1-0 but I didn't think the game would turn out the way it did. Is that a humble flex Amar on the prediction? Just a slight humble punditry flex. <laughs> yeah, just just <laughs> dropping it over there and I called it guys and I'm proud of it. Uh, all, all you guys who are looking who are following like uh, betting accounts on Twitter you don't need to anymore. Uh, but anyways. <laughs> so the way the game started off uh, it was very open right um and there were so many chances that were created and i thought it would be a little more of a cagey affair uh, where uh, you know chelsea would sit back uh, a little deeper than they did and uh, even the midfielders would not be so aggressive in their pressing so they would basically uh, block city out completely and then maybe find one on the counter um, through a long ball and that's that's how i thought the game would pan out but it wasn't that way it was it was actually very open um and for me where the game was won and lost was again the way the teams were set up uh, guardiola had a acute case of overthinking which um, makes me realize that he is human at the end of the day but as usual just happened later in the tournament yeah yeah it's it's just overthinking man it's there, there's nothing there's no other explanation to it because uh, uh for uh, all the listeners who don't know or don't remember he fielded out a midfield uh, three of foden de bruyne and bernardo silva gundogan and gundogan yeah and gundogan but uh, essentially uh, this was the only this was only the second game where he didn't play either rodri or fernandinho and the reason for that could have been uh, fernandinho's shambolic performance when they played uh, chelsea in the fa cup and i don't know why he just didn't trust rodri maybe for this game or what it was but basically they were not playing a holding midfielder only for the second time of the season now two repercussions right firstly uh, uh, obviously there's uh, space in the middle that can be exploited considering how wide city like to spread the pitch out so there's always that big big hole in the middle that is usually covered by the fernandinho or rodri and secondly it made uh, gundogan play in that sort of position as a holding midfielder but this is a man who has scored 17 goals right and he's not scored 17 goals from a holding midfielder position he scored 17 goals this season yeah he scored 17 goals this season wow i don't know why that's surprising to me i mean you guys are fucking bruno who scored much more than that so yeah but bruno doesn't count bro he's the only one who scores in our team bro <laughs> we have one rashford who's on crutches <laughs> uh, that boy the ball hits him and goes inside bro he gets he gets some goals that way that also he didn't manage to do against villarreal Okay, you are opening your own wounds right now. See, this is the problem, Dapo. When you when you mention it, no. Yeah, the first ditch. Now you had to remove the scab after that. But just to go back to Amar's point of that central vacated zone, that's super interesting. Because I mean, 
so i think how, they played twice right like this is the third time tuchel guardiola played like in 2021 it's a yeah. and i think chelsea have essentially won all three right 2-1 1-0 1-0 i think those yeah. are the score lines and in the first two games so i saw this interesting i don't remember who it was it it's one of these analytics guys i think it's uh, uh, tom warwell or michael cox one of those two but someone tweeted something about you know people are saying that fernandinho should have played but he played in you know either fernandinho or rodri should have played but they one of them essentially both of them played in separate games in those two reverse fixtures and city no, no, lost no 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 in in the first game in the first game rodri and fernandinho both played both played exactly yeah something like that but essentially i think he had at least one holding midfielder in both the games like i don't know if the second game he dropped both of them but basically what he said is that i don't know if that's a great you know take because it isn't like pep was fielding his first choice 11 in either of those games so yeah. having or not having fernandinho sort of a micro look at a macro problem in those smaller you know vacuums of fixtures those games but this game i think you guys are bang on that it was sorely missing he comes on over the 63rd minute and the, it was a different game for that much time it literally exactly. looked like the second half yeah. against psg where they clicked into place and it's done you have no space and i maybe we should dissect that goal because that goal is the perfect you know capsule of 10 seconds of play it's nice for a content perspective that there was just one goal so it's <laughs> you can do it as well <laughs> yeah uh, i think i think before that uh, just to give the listeners some pretext it's important to know the kind of formations that were uh, developing over the game now when city had the ball right uh, it was essentially a 3-4-3 uh, with uh, the three being um, uh, ruben diaz john stones and kyle walker on the right Zinchenko was coming into a midfield diamond of four, so he was basically cutting in from the left back. And then you had uh, Gundogan, uh, Bernardo Silva, De Bruyne, and then uh, another front three of uh, Foden as a false nine. Uh, Riyad Mahrez on the right. Yeah, I I think that false nine is very important because even he didn't even have a consistent false nine in that game because yeah, it was like false nines. Yeah, Foden kept going in and out of there. De Bruyne kept going in and out of there. Yeah, Guardiola is giving football manager labels an issue, man, with these positions <laughs> floating number nine wide, inside and forward. Yeah, that's also probably because like there was barely any space between the lines of Chelsea. Like, like it was so compact. Right, so vertically compact. And 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 now that Amar has gone through the team, I think it. I think it's absolutely. mad and crazy that we've seen he played sterling that is fine like okay fine let like, that's his decision but we have seen a champions league finalist team playing without a striker and a central defensive midfielder that is just insane yeah i mean we've been around for the barca era so i guess it's not that insane but it truly is but then you try to do both in the same game yeah no so what i said like in the previous episode when we did, actually did the preview for the finals right I said that um at least in the PSG game it looked like Pep was going back to his roots and trying to replicate what he did at Barcelona in terms of the false nine position with Messi and that looked very similar to what he was doing in City at the time but one of the trademark Pep Guardiola tactics uh, or part of his tactics is that one holding midfielder who covers the play and builds the play Busquets Xavi Martinez yeah Hundred um, percent. Yeah. I think Lam also uh, uh, towards uh, some point of the career. That Bayern team and Barca team were out of the world, but like Fernandinho, man. But there has been so there have been cases in Pep's career where he has played without an out-and-out striker. Several instances, several instances. 
but there's never that I can probably probably remember where he's played without that central defensive midfielder. Yeah, that's very fascinating. And for him to do that at a Champions League final, I think Tuchel maybe got in his head a little though, right? With the two wins and maybe. Yeah, he did definitely, definitely. Yeah. But but anyways, let's let's come back. Let's come back to the goal. Let's let's talk about the goal a little bit. So. Um, that was City's formation, right? With Mares and Sterling hugging the wings essentially, and then uh, uh, the City's back line had to come forward to sort of compress the space. Otherwise, there would be too much space left in between the midfielders and the defense. Mm-hmm. And then you had a Chelsea uh, team of um, uh, of again like an amoeba kind of position where people were just moving into space. So uh, Havertz was coming in from the right. Uh, Werner was drifting wide. Chilwell and Reese James, the wingbacks were running forward. Oof, Reese James had what a game! Reese James what, had great game, yeah, Oof. great game. And then you had you had the midfield of uh, Mason Mount and like big, big, big shout out to N'Golo Kante. I think he just showed the world what he can do and how much he can run. And he was just on like he 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 went crazy. I think he was just on steroids in that game. He was mad. Stop doing this, Amar. You can't keep accusing people of steroids. <laughs> okay, but I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. Okay, let's let's <laughs> let's talk about the goal now. So that that midfield of Chelsea were always pressing. Uh, they were not uh, sort of compact. They they were trying to attack the the City midfielders. And for that particular goal, we've been seeing Chilwell and Reece James making those runs down the flanks, but especially Chilwell. He did this time and time and time again throughout the game. Yeah, he was getting a lot of space on the right. Yeah, he was getting a lot of space because Mares was not uh, tracking back, and again Zinchenko was moving in. No, but Zinchenko is on the other side, right? This is Walker moving in. Yeah, yeah, Zinchenko on the left. So, so that that's actually an interesting point because even I noticed that during the game is that City's press in Chelsea's defensive third was always on Chelsea's right flank. It was never on Chelsea's left. Yeah. Flank. So uh, at the so when you saw that the play right, you could see um, James and uh, Thiago Silva and um, who was it on the right hand side and maybe Havertz. I think it's Jorginho, right? Yeah. So so those people were very clamped together and, and mm. City were always pressing. But on the other side, Chilwell that long ball to Chilwell and that space for Havertz was always on and Mount would always drift a little bit towards the left because that's what he prefers doing anyway, like naturally. Yeah. So that side of Chelsea was a lot more productive than you know the right flank, mm-hmm. and that's why we saw not just for the goal but like throughout the game, Chilwell was getting into a lot of decent positions. Yeah, I think like five minutes before the goal, he was like. Not away, but he had like, yeah, exactly. He had a lot of space on the left and he puts in a ball. Yeah. Yeah. For that particular goal, though, it was the it was the ball played to from Mendy to Chilwell and that. Chilwell passes it to Chilwell passes it to Mount. And now this is where it gets interesting, right? Because even though Werner had another shit game in front of goal and he also missed pointing at the Chelsea badge while taking the picture. <laughs> and he also missed the camera. It's the only podcast that we shout out memes in, man. <laughs> <laughs> What he did really well was was another one of his trademark uh, peeling runs, where he's taken he's taken Ruben Diaz completely out of the picture, right? Like totally. And uh, then the ball is played from Mason Mount to Havertz, who's now seen the run from Werner drifting in. He's drifted in himself to a central position. So essentially, it's it's Werner who's gone out to the left and Havertz who's come into the center. And I mean, for Mason Mount's caliber, that was a pretty simple pass to play and. It was just simple, simple, definitely, but perfect. 
it like it seems really nice that the ball went like from back to front so quickly but then we've talked about this before like all morning as well like that was that was too easy you don't let a team cut across you so easily first you don't give mount so much space to pass the ball and second what akshit said about zinchenko being on the wrong side those two things like those are like basic mistakes man but i mean you're saying it's a basic mistake but it only that one resulted in a goal right i mean throughout the game we saw no either rudiger mendy aspilicueta always thinking those long balls like that is how they came to set up themselves against the team like city who are playing so high like we are seeing it so evidently so the coaches definitely 100% saw this and obviously saw way more advanced versions of what we are talking about but you could see them coping for it you saw mares even though city started dominating the second half he was really playing deeper especially when they didn't have the balls in chenko as well as trying to sort of square up his body shape as opposed to show the player inside cuz i think chelsea have this super they have i don't know how this has happened but they somehow have a striker who's good at creating goal scoring opportunities more than he's good at scoring them and they have a wide yeah. midfielder slash number 10 who's better at scoring goals than creating them so they they have this weird thing where havertz and werner are essentially doing each other's roles for them because havertz has a sprint on him and i don't think we realize it as much but he's long legs not just long legs he also had i think the fastest sprint in the bundesliga two seasons or one season ago but he's you you guys are absolutely right the space that is made is just you cannot forgive that it's unforgivable like it's literally i think three passes and they're in the d like with that last mount ball it's at the middle third of the pitch yeah exactly that's, that's the crazy part exactly. you defend that part exactly right yeah. i know what you're saying but i'm saying in terms of how efficiently that four or five passes that maneuver or those chilwell the pass he plays to mount he is off his feet he's in the air he's taking that pa- he's taking the pass from mendy as it's come to him he's laid off an absolute perfect ball for mount to face up to mount doesn't have to set himself up with that ball he faces up he, he did though he did take that bit of a yeah yeah no no of course no but i'm saying he didn't have to completely readjust his body shape and lose 3 or 4 seconds he'd already gotten the pass off him as he's seen burner start to peel off and havertz drift into that central position and i think even though the ball was you're right it's simple it's essentially a straight ball down the middle with a decent weight on it because you don't want to the only way you can do that wrong is by cutting it short or hitting it too wide right that's what i'm talking about the burner's movement the peel run almost the cavani-esque around the center back's shoulder or full back shoulder it's diaz the center back shoulder and the fact that you guys are the amount of space is created i think fernandinho he does one of two things right he either presses mount or he holds that position and either way there's no goal there and i don't know man i think only pep can tell us why he didn't play for andinho and another thing i think is aguero was probably the most pep striker there is if you think about it right like he likes to keep the ball down movement wise yeah no not just movement just his attributes right i mean when you think of pep selling zlatan you can sort of see that because zlatan is more of a powerhouse than to use a basketball term a small forward in the sense that his agility and his movement and positioning and angles is a bigger attribute aguero was as close to uh messi as an actual number 9 i mean if that makes sense low center of gravity yeah, yeah, yeah. much stronger than messi though so that's even better for him as a center forward he's not too old i mean he is old you you definitely can't blame every game of the season including your champions league games but this is manchester city they could have easily rotated aguero into being their main striker but still not playing him when they don't need him and relying on this false nine system i think it's weird that i don't know if we ever thought de bruyne 
like when you think of goal scoring midfielders you think of people like lampard you think of people like grealish you think of people like bruno obviously players like this jesse lingard players that make those movements where they might not score every game but they're getting into that position i don't know if we ever saw de bruyne do that like i'm not saying he's a bad player i'm just saying he was more of the facilitator no that's not his role in that city team yeah he's more of a orchestrator than anything else i mean it's good that he bothered up because jesus was the first change not aguero and i i genuinely thought that this is a game that where aguero comes on and and aguero dude i think if he starts fernandinho and aguero that's a different game i think it's a completely different game and i'm not staking it away from i mean who does he drop right i think he probably drops one of gundogan and bernardo silva and sterling 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 for sure i mean sterling was a very surprise pick for everyone because of the kind of season that he's had like i i i just want to bring this up because we we've spoken about uh, pep um being this systems type of manager right where it's all about the system it's all about who can play where how are they going to play on the pitch and all of that right but to an extent when you're playing a big game like a champions league final you have to pick the personnel which you think can lead you to victory and i think having a leader like sergio aguero on the field is extremely important especially when they lose de bruyne right hmm. i know pep is all about systems i know he's all about tactics and all of that but you need a presence on that pitch and too. also does aguero negatively impact that like no. i i don't know if he doesn't like no he doesn't he's not even a type of striker that you think will not fit with a pep team which is why this is sort of boggled me like there is no explanation it has to be professional or personal or a fitness concern right it's all but then ever since pep has come into this team he's never like you can see that he's never truly trusted aguero no he has he has he has uh, no but po is right po is right though he he has just indefinitely dropped him he's dropped him so many times and then like there's always this perception that he does not trust him completely mm. i mean he gets another contract if he trusts him exactly in my opinion aguero stays if pep wants him to stay right i mean yeah the fact that city have lost vincent company yaya toure david silva now conaguero these are these are manchester city players in the premier league this is where it these are probably the best players in the premier league over the past 20 years as well as manchester city's fucking bobby charlton and george best right these are the players right who have set up the dynasty of manchester city and for me it's so weird one that you're losing a character so easily like akshat sari but it's just been so nice to have <laughs> nice i guess is not a, the right word but it would have been such a advantage to have someone like aguero who scored so many important goals he knows what it yeah. means he knows and these are the players who sort of slow it down in the most pressure cooker moments where they can take that extra second like amar has brought up before the la pausa right you it's it's literally that almost a frame wherein it's that's the difference between putting your foot on the ball versus knocking it in front of you and aguero how how do you not see aguero as a pep guardiola striker if i was pep and thought of i'm not but in terms of the principles that he wants to play of course the most attacking flowing quick you know beautiful football aguero is not a, i mean for me he serves that purpose more than de bruyne playing a num- false nine yeah for me even aguero could play a better false nine than either one of the two foden or uh, de bruyne can yeah if anyone in that team right i mean w- what is also surprised is that uh, the sterling pick as i mentioned before but then playing sterling on that left hand side meant that foden comes into the center but foden's best performances have been on the flank wide coming in right 
and yeah, I, I mean, but I, there's been because of zinchenko right because they don't have natural width on the left not that sterling is going to pull wide because he's going to naturally come inside on to his right but i think that's why he plays some i i, I don't i think it's in the second half right the one time he gets in behind reese james and there's that ball played and i don't know if it's blocked or the cross goes astray but basically that's literally the one time he gets in between edison's pass that uh, gets sterling in he he flopped the like flopped the shot man like he could have easily gotten that goal and he i mean he has had a poor season with city flying all of their attackers scoring you can signal out only probably this one guy and you can tell that okay he's not had a good season but just to give some perspective like on i mean we can go about talking about abstract stuff of why he didn't play a player or why he played a player but this champions league final has been city's lowest xg count all through the season yeah i think it's like 0.5 Yeah, you don't want that in your Champions League final, man. For a team that have been playing such elusive, attractive, free-flowing football, if you can't turn up in the Champions League uh, final, then I was coming to that. I, I was going. I want to credit Chelsea for one more good, like thing that they did really good, and this ties into this whole XG thing. Like them cutting off that passing lanes from defense to midfield for City. Like in for like in the first half, initially you could see when the balls were going into City's midfield, like space between. uh chelsea's attacking line and that midfield line there was quite some space for them to put the balls in like through them but then later on you could see that gap reduce and then become so narrow that they couldn't get that like ball to them and they were forced out wide again and again exactly yeah, yeah. and out wide the one on ones were totally dominated by chelsea all game long chilwell dominated mares and james dominated sterling so you can't really get through that and i mean the the workhorse of uh, kante and mounts like i mean it was super aggressive pressing and we're not just signaling out those two i think even aspliqueta and rudiger were playing very aggressive risky football right defending wise but i think that's a tukel thing right because he doesn't have these okay like he's one of these very special managers or like uh, unique i guess is a better word that plays genuinely different systems in the i guess three major jobs he's had with uh, dortmund psg and chelsea he has genuinely played different systems with different qualities of players and i think one thing that he does with chelsea which is it's it's for me it's sort of like the sheffield's overlapping center backs thing wherein it's weird to think of it's sort of counterintuitive wherein he's playing all three center backs essentially you saw conte do this but many times he would play a right back as right center back or a left back as left center back so you get that additional width on one of the sides when the center back split but what he does is he plays uh, what uh, he plays three very good defensive but very good footballing center backs as well because if you think of christiansen you think of rudiger if you think of cesar maybe not rudiger as much but christiansen and aspiliqueta very good footballing center backs very decent with the ball one thing that they do that a lot of teams with this if you play a back three you're either losing someone out up front or in midfield right i mean of course you just played an extra number there chelsea choose to lose that out in midfield because they have kante like you guys said he makes up essentially space for two guys but another clever thing that amar just alluded to was the pressing or aggressive or i think you said risky football is what you said yeah that for me is what takes this tukel side and changes it from what we saw conte do with chelsea which is very similar in terms of how they set up but sort of this 5 to 3 right 523 or yeah 523 i think that's right <laughs> yeah my maths worked out for me <laughs> no in ter- in terms of how they literally line up like if you think of mount on the left one up front and havertz on the right yeah. two holding midfielders and five but that becomes a 343 in attack 
or a three four one two. However, you want to think of it. If Mount comes back and you're probably three four one two is yeah. Yeah, that's I think more accurate. You're right because Mount will either come onto the left in that one or onto the right wherever he feels. Yeah. Like. So for yeah, me, they're highly they're like very. Uh, they overload a side basically and more than overload a side i think that those three are on top of that even if you put pulisic in there maybe hudson on toy to an extent all of them can play in all of those positions like it's very very easy to rotate them in terms of what they're obviously not effective as effective as each other but you're right very fluid so for me where they have made up this extra x factor is what rudiger and cesar do at the back like you just said which is come out and press the midfield line you'll see many times where they'll have one deeper center back in thiago silva or maybe christiansen after thiago went off and his flanking center backs are essentially pushing up all the way up yeah with either a kante or jorginho and the man the pressing traps that tuchel sets us chef's kiss man it's 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 savant football you you are seeing and it's like I don't want to use it like a fucking boxing analogy, but it's a trap. It's it's you are making the person throw a punch so you can swing counter and blow his brains out, and that's what Chelsea do. They overload one side of the park. You switch the ball. They want that switch to happen. As that switch happens, move slowly laterally, and they essentially set up Kante and whoever is in front of him and behind him into one of like an effective pressing trap. And when you have Kante doing something as simple as literally monkey in the middle in like a two by two space. He's getting the ball more often than not, and you saw that a lot with him winning it off De Bruyne. He essentially shut De Bruyne out of the game. Yeah, yeah, as much time as he played, because he's in that half space, right? You can't, you can't do anything there. And that, that I think is one of the the major reasons why a false nine would, didn't work against Tuchel. It's because the mm. false nine essentially is someone who starts up front but drifts inside a little bit further yeah, between the line. Pass that space between like the defense and midfield. Exactly, Paul. Um, and and. when you have center backs or playing as stoppers you know rather than traditional center backs they have no problem rodriguez had no problem yeah they're following you anyway yeah exactly yeah following you into the midfield because he has two people who are covering for him in a traditional four man defense anyway right so when you have those stoppers and the thing is that they they it's not like one man is designated to mark de bruyne because of those three central defenders that they have right so if if de bruyne peels off the left which is the right sided center back and and does that then the right sided center back who i think was uh, aspeliqueta he acts as a stopper he's the one who follows de bruyne in if he does it from the left hand side i think it was rudiger who was on the left or was rudiger central yeah rudiger and cesar are always on the like right and left rudiger is always to the left yeah and thiago silva was at the center you're right So so Rudiger so so when he moves forward Rudiger is the one who plays that stopper role and goes into midfield to plug that hole and if anyone tries to run into the space that um, is left because Rudiger has come uh, forward which is what Mares does when he cuts inside or maybe what a, a Foden would do to try and, and run into that space that's when Silva uh, follows him that's when Kanté follows him yeah you don't have those space between the lines because of that right I exactly. mean sort of you just essentially move the defense around into where it wants to be anyway so yeah. it's, it's no no one's out of position yeah that's yeah. so fascinating to watch that another example of like tukul adapting like to situations you no know? like this is not in this game though like it takes me back to the fa cup final like you guys remember seeing that switch between aspilicueta and reese james he put like reese james in the center like as a right sided center back inside of the wing back and put aspilicueta on the outside like cuz wadi usually makes those inside runs like and like so like reese james can keep up with wardy he essentially put him as the inside channel like center back that's fascinating as hell i i didn't know that that's super fascinating it seems so simple though right like just put the faster guy on the faster guy <laughs> you know 
he's faster than cesar so might as well put him in that tukel has got some insane like records against great managers and he's one of these uh, like a lot of really good german coaches coming out but i think he's one of the most satisfying ones to watch like his teams play some insane football yeah i feel sick in my mouth for giving chelsea so much credit that i i just threw up in my mouth a bit yeah and I, i they they're challenging for the title next season yeah what do you guys think yeah i mean with all with the rumors that they want to buy another striker and shit no no i don't think they need to buy anyone i think they can still challenge you don't just yeah. they can still do it league. but then it's chelsea like you can expect them to go for the like overkill yeah 100% but i wanted to say this also it's super so tukel sides are very expressive in the attacking football but chelsea just considered four goals in the champions league incredible yeah <laughs> that's like a fifa stat dude like that's insane yeah. I, i don't yeah. i can't remember all of their run through they got some pretty easy fixtures like i remember they played porto which was the easier side of the draw atletico atletico porto real and uh... atletico is not easy real isn't easy porto maybe little bit but they were also doing decent season also shout out to sporting lisbon as well first title in 19 years <laughs> So there's some yeah. changes of guard all over Europe. Nineteen, nine, nineteen, right? I think nineteen. Yeah, I think probably like when Cristiano was there, like he they would probably won. No, 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 I don't think they won. No, no, no. And uh, you guys want to give a quick uh, shout out to Bayern Munich as well? I mean, uh, for winning again and oh, we forgot to talk about Lewandowski, man. Amar did in the intro. Amar did in the intro. He shout out. I did. I did in the intro. I did. Like he's scoring forty-one goals in like twenty-nine games. That's insane. With seven assists. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. And I think he he broke the record with like five minutes left in the season or like towards like yeah. And he scored a tap in. Like he he scored a rebound goal. He scored a yeah. rebound goal. Yeah. Not a tap in. Yeah. Even after doing all that, like the players, like player of the like fans, player of the year went to. Uh, Our man, the Halle. robot. What is his Halle. name? Harlan. Yeah. Mr. Terminator. Yeah, like like Lewandowski must have been like, what the fuck do you guys expect me to do more? Leva, at this point, Lewandowski is just like he's normal, right? They've seen him for like six, seven years at that level. When you see yeah. a new guy like Haaland come in, but but I mean that that's a fan vote, right? So there are more people hating Bayern than. More people than people loving Bayerns. So that's true. That's definitely yeah. true. Like, before, yeah, do you guys want to give an early shout out to this year's Ballon d'Or? Like, what with Conte doing? It's gonna be super tough, man. Like, people are giving Conte an early shout out for. Like, I was just gonna say Conte as well. For if France, if France win, if France win the, if France win the Euros, then I think it's going to be Conte. Yeah. And also like Lewandowski for this season and like what he missed. Just out saying, season. France are in the group of death though, so that that is going to be an insane group. They may it it is a group of death because they are in it, man. I like that. I like that, Amar. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> the group of murder, bro. Fuck me. Group of murder. Yeah. Okay, guys. Um, that that was a good session. I think uh, it's time to wrap up now. but uh, like the premier league and the champions league season has come to an end uh, we are also bringing to an end our uh, first ever season of under 3 and a pint and uh, we will be back next week but uh, just to say that the season end just so you guys get a zero production costs man <laughs> yeah uh, we we will be back by popular demand we are sure of it so we thought we might as well just continue um but uh, just to wrap up like uh, on a quick fun note um, i just want to ask you guys uh, so we have like 34 episodes in which has been your favorite to record and or maybe to listen to again once you finished recording well, let's start with vaishnav 
probably one of them one of the episodes we got guests on uh, burano and aya probably uh, i think we had aya mm. on twice and the seria conversation we had was super enlightening because i don't watch that much football from italy and france and even spain for that matter so it's nice to hear someone who watches football there and it's like i learned as much as listeners did in that episode it was great nice okay so uh, based on that uh, just a shout out to uh, nea for uh, coming twice buran for coming once um, siddharth for coming once and uh, yeah hey, rishab uh, as well right pfc that was a great episode oh, rishab as well yeah rishab as well shout out to rishab as well hey, and ds and shantanu dude they were on earlier we did premier league predictions and i i predicted arsenal coming third so they'll always have that over me for the rest of my life <laughs> so it's all good <laughs> nice okay so uh, just to shout out to all the guys who joined us on this uh, on this podcast so far and if any you, you listeners want to uh, feature uh, then uh, just let us know and we'll be happy to have you um let's go akshat for me it was i mean i think the super league episode was, was kind of special for all of us but that, i'm not going to choose that cuz cuz we've spoken enough about it yeah don't choose that um, for me it was definitely the uh, the indian super league episode dude like it was super awesome to actually talk about indian football with another bfc supporter like rishabh who's been to most of the games like i have i, I think that was an, an awesome episode so yeah that that's definitely my favorite personal favorite nice for oh, what about you mm, okay, the very first episode that i was in was always will always be special but like the actual like like one which i really like the content would have to be either like uh, the one that we did about project big picture or like the journalism one either one of those actually the project big picture one was really good which was very nice yeah, very i i nice. i'll admit that is the one episode i've actually gone back and listened to yeah nice yeah so it's nice to know where all our listens are coming from very self sustainable business model we have here <laughs> <laughs> uh and mine mine would be the uh the, i i really like the numbers game episode for recording uh i think while we were recording it it was a lot of fun and there's a lot of nice information being thrown around but uh, uh one episode that i love to listen to when i go back is the, when we made our own five side teams i think that was pretty cool oh damn i was regretting that uh, yeah man like you guys are never going to let me forget that are you <laughs> i can't forget editing that episode man but after you said david luis <laughs> oh yeah, six aside. Sorry, well, you had David Luiz, so that's five aside essentially for you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> But anyways, guys, this brings us to the end of our podcast. Uh, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll catch you again next week. Cheers. <laughs>